Hello, I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm going to be interviewing James Eden, owner of the British made clothing brand Private White VC. In this no holds barred, honest account of what it's really like being a UK clothing manufacturer, James reveals the challenges that his factory faced when supplying big brands and retailers and why he's decided to switch his factory's production from solely manufacturing for other brands to launching his own label. He also tells me why he's flipped his pricing strategy on its head and the reaction that it's had with his customers. Plus, why he's completely boycotting Black Friday and all this other crazy markdown mayhem, which is so common in the clothing industry. But before we get on to the interview, I'd just like to take a minute to thank each and every one of you for tuning into this podcast. Since we launched the show last week, we've made it to the top 100 business podcasts on iTunes. In fact, at one point, I think we were number 13. And I've got to thank all of you for that. Every listen and review that we receive helps to spread the word about the wonderful manufacturers and British made brands that still exist in the UK. If you've not already left a review, can I please ask that you do so? I'm going to be reading out some of my favourites on the show in the coming weeks. So with no further ado, now let's get on with the show. Hello, James. Thank you very much for joining me today. Delighted to be had. Thank you. Shall we start for those few people that are listening to this that haven't heard what Private White is? Can you tell us a little bit about the company, what the background is? Yep. So Private White is um, our factory brand, our maker's label that is named after the founder of our factory here in, uh, in the heart of Manchester, who was my great-grandfather, um, Jack White. He was awarded the Victoria Cross in the First World War. He was a private at the time. And after the World War, he got an apprenticeship in his local raincoat factory. And back then in the housing days of Cottonopolis, as Manchester was dubbed back then, there were literally hundreds and thousands of people working in textiles, mainly cotton raincoat factories. Um, He was an apprentice. He trained as a pattern cutter. He was subsequent general manager and then owner. And he passed away at the end of the 1940s. The business moved on. Um, And I got involved. I invested in the business about, feels like an eternity. It was probably about seven or eight years ago. And since then, we have been refining, developing, um, making a lot of backward steps, whilst at the same time making some progress in creating and developing what I think is a high integrity, high quality clothing brand that manufactures everything in the UK with the line share coming from our own factory in the heart of Manchester. 
Brilliant. So, so just to give people a bit more of a kind of background on that, when you say the company that you joined eight years ago, that was actually Cooper and Stoll Brand, which was solely a factory manufacturing for other brands. Is that right? Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it was, I guess what you would call that. It was a, a, a factory that was ostensibly at the time a Burberry factory. So the lion's share of production was allocated to Burberry. Um, as well as some other very, very well-known and reputable and and and, and high-end um, brands, um, and there was a, an opportunity or a threat to the business that meant that its livelihood and future was endangered. I, at the time, was working in finance in the city. Um, my reality check bounced after a couple of years, and I decided I want to do something different. And there was a there was an opportunity, or shall I say, there was a threat to the factory, my old family factory. Um, and at the time, I had no, I had no wives, mistresses, um, <laughs> no property in, the, in 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 London. So there was no re- there was nothing really for me to lose, other than you know a bit of street cred, um, a bit of embarrassment, and a bit of um, and a bit of money, obviously. And so I decided to to throw in the towel, move back in with my parents, and see what I could do to help revitalize, reinvigor- reinvigorate, reposition the factory. Um, because I'd known the business for many, many years. It's always made beautiful products, always been able to cut fabulous patterns, and it's had a real, real um, flair for fabrication and, and, and high quality. So I knew that there was a tremendous opportunity to do something, make beautiful products and, and sell beautiful products to the right people. And obviously with the advent of the internet, and the you know propagation of, of of access of information and whatnot, I just felt that with the right platform, with the right pedestal, and with the right approach to storytelling, um, I was well. I I felt quite passionately that there was something quite magical here, and I, and and that was as I said that was seven or eight years ago, and and here we are today talking to you. So that's when you came on board was when you had the idea to set up a brand so that the factory wasn't solely reliant on its other customers, but instead had its own direct to consumer. Well, I, 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 yes. I mean, at first, I didn't really do much for the first twelve to eighteen months of of, of running the factory. Um, you know. I didn't understand the world of retailing. I still don't. I definitely didn't understand the world of e-commerce. I definitely still don't. So I wasn't quite sure what the best foot forward would be, but it soon became apparent that being a dirty, grotty CMT contract maker, bottom of the food chain, treated like, <laughs> well, just just treated with absolute disregard and disrespect was not something that I was particularly keen to to, to carry on with. So I thought we'd have a complete change of, of, of tact and approach and yes, become a vertically integrated direct to consumer business, um, which is what we've done. I mean, we've had some ups and downs. We've had some false starts. We've had a probably a, an, an unhealthy reliance on wholesaling. We've probably had too many, too much involvement with distributors and agents which has cost us blood, a lot of time lost and a lot of money spent and a lot of headaches and, uh, and litigation and whatnot. But that's <laughs> part of the cause, I guess. Um, and, and now I think we're in quite a, quite a, well, a very strong, very re- robust position at the moment, whereby um, pretty much everything that's going through the factory has a private white label on it. Oh, and wow. if, it's not exclu- if it's not exclusively for private white, then it'll be in collaboration. So whether it's um, with someone like 
Jaguar that we've just um, recently launched a collaboration with, or whether it's through a particularly avant-garde influential stockist in Edmonton like The Helm, or whether it's a store in Amsterdam or Korea or, or South Africa. Um, we try and do everything now through the factory with a private white label in it um, because, uh, well, we've just got to a certain size and a certain scale whereby, you know, we're able to do that, which is, which is a nice place to be. So what advice would you give to other manufacturers who maybe are in the stage that you were at eight years ago, which is solely CMT and especially with like the high street suffering as it is and that being such a kind of difficult market at the moment, would you advise them to launch their own brand? Um, would I, I mean, yes, I would. I think it's a big, big leap of faith. I think you've got to have a lot of, can I say balls? Yeah, Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Okay. So it's, well, I'm not sure what time this is going out. I just said it. <laughs> it, 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 take, it, take, it takes a lack of fear, I guess. It takes, you've got to have a sensible appetite for risk. You've got to have some capital to, to, to waste because, you know, when you're going out your comfort zone, you make loads of mistakes and, 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 and do things that perhaps you're not well-placed or well-experienced or, 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 or well-positioned to, to do and do well. So I make a lot of mistakes. Um, I, yes, I, I think the, the, the having your own brand has its benefits, also has its shortcomings. But when you compare to the, the sustainability, the longevity and the profitability of being a just a CMT maker, which for me, it's almost like snakes and ladders. You know, you have a good day, a good week, a good month, and then a designer or a fashion house or even a big conglomerate just decides not to, not to pay or decides to, um, you know, mysteriously find that buttons are falling off in the warehouse or you've submitted, you've submitted, you've you've submitted a thousand trench coats. Um, and then final batch of 500, you just delivered it's deemed by their quality controller in some faceless DC in the, mid- in, in, um, in the Midlands has decided that the Navy gabardine is just too Navy. Um, and, and, as, and as a result, we're going to have to either um, hit you with a big credit note or return um, the stock that we no longer need or can sell. Um, and like I said, you're, you're on a, it's, you're on a road to hiding. It's, um, it's, it's just a struggle. And so that's something that I don't necessarily miss. But having said that, of course, the benefits of having, Reg in inverted commas, regular work, um, reliable working capital requirements, invoices paid um, occasionally. Um, it's a different sort of beast. It's a different sort of animal that you've got to tame and nurture. Uh, like I said, it has its strengths, it has its weaknesses. But for me, that's coming into this with a desire to create something really quite I don't want to say the word big because I don't think it's all relative, really. Who wants to create something significant, something meaningful, meaningful, something special for, you know, for my generation and hopefully many, many others. Um, I think the only way to do that, the only way to grow and develop, and these would develop quite, uh, I emphasize the word develop because what we're doing requires a lot of training, a lot of development of machinery, of, of, of processes, of the people, most importantly. Um, and I, I think it's a real struggle to do that when you don't have the continuity and reliability and, and, and foresight of that, you know, that comes with having your own brand. Yes. So you've recently taken quite a drastic stance on your pricing, haven't you? In that you've been mm. very transparent because obviously the one thing that people say all the time is, Oh, it's so much more expensive to buy British made goods. Um, how, firstly, how would you sort of argue against that? It isn't necessarily more expensive or to justify why people you know, why, why should people pay more? But also, can you explain why you then decided to be very open about your costumes? Well, 
I mean, when we started the business, you know, the, the, the landscape of the world, the world, the, the world of retail, the world of e-commerce, just the world in general was a completely different, different, different place than it is today or, or indeed where it will be in next week, next month. So when we had, when we was at day one, when we, we were faced with the, the challenge of building a brand, how, how could, should, would one do that? And back then the obvious route to market was through wholesaling. And so, which is what we did. You know, I boarded a plane over to Japan. I got into bed with a fantastic distributor. Um, and then we did the same thing in the States in Germany and Scandinavia and, and many other places. Um, and we create, we quite quickly, we developed and generated quite a significant sizable wholesale led business, um, which was good and bad. It was good because we had quite a lot of orders coming through, which was good for the factory, but it was bad because eventually, um, we were just trying to, we were, we were being asked to placate and pander to the women demands of lots of different people. You know, guys in Korea have different sensibilities, different sizes and different demands than stores and stockists in North America that are very different to Scandinavia that are very different. They're very different. You end up saying yes to lots and lots of people. It dilutes your message, it dilutes your product offering, it di certainly dilutes your, your bank balance because you end up hold, holding a lot of stock um, which led to problems. And also I could see the way that the world was moving and moving quite quickly or very quickly, actually away from wholesale led businesses and, 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 um, to the warm embrace of direct to consumer operations, which, um, which prompted me to have a almost 180 reversal in terms of our tactics. Um, and we had to put down the wholesale uh, the wholesale dog whose tail was, was wagging and dictating the way in which we ran our business. So we decided to emancipate ourselves from the shackles of <laughs> all sorts of agents and, 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 and distributors and, um, go and, and, and embrace a more direct approach, um, a more direct approach in terms of our selling a more direct approach in the way in which we distribute the product and a more direct approach in the way in which we price things as well which leads me to our price manifesto, which is all about, um, well, just trying to, trying to educate customers into explaining so they, so they're informed as to why things cost the way they do. Um, so they are making, so they are making sensible, practical, realistic comparisons when they're looking to compare a product from private white versus one from any other business really. And what's, um, what and sort of reaction have you had to that? It's, universally been it's been applauded quite a lot of people in the well, quite a lot of people have been extremely taken aback by it because it is a rather i don't know whether it's a i don't know whether it's a a reckless or revolutionary <laughs> prophetic or 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 foolish thing to do um but for me you know these days everybody's got access or certainly our kind of customer our kind of consumer has got access to so much information you know it's no longer about country of origin it's almost about factory of origin or yarn of origin and so given my guy and girl have got an insatiable appetite for information and for detail and for um and uh, and for and for processes and and, and provenance um, I just thought, well, we've got nothing to hide. If anything, we try and smother the, inf the customer with so much information anyway. Why not just give them a little bit more? They seem to like it when we tell them things that are interesting, that are unique, that are different to how everyone else is marketing and communicating. So let's take it a step further. 
Um, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's actually really, really, really revolutionized the, the health and prospects and ultimately sales of our business. Brilliant. Um, That's great. Be, be, because it kind of, it cuts out a lot of the noise that is out there. Um, not just online, but, 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 um, but in the, in, in bricks and mortar as well. Um, you know, there's lots of brands out there with very, very good product. Let's be clear. You know, I'm not arrogant or, or, or deluded enough to think that there aren't other brands out there that have fantastic product that I see great products every day. And I love, I'm a product guy. So that's great to see. There's also a lot of shit out there. Sorry. I think I just did. Sorry. There's also a lot of crap out there. Um, you know, some very, very expensive inferior product and some cheap products and you know, um, yeah, I was going to say, does, do you think any um, other kind of outerwear in particular manufacturers now feel a little under threat by the fact that you have exposed your prices and therefore if they're charging twice what you're charging, it's now making it look like they're trying to make themselves a hell of a lot of money, especially if that product is made overseas. Uh, uh, listen, I, I, I choose not to talk disparaging of other businesses and other brands. I'm not here to pass judgment or, or, or question or doubt the motives and intentions and the practices of others. I only focus on what we do. Um, but you know, if customers want to draw conclusions, if they, you know, if we are being, um, transparent and open in terms of our costing sheet and, and, and so trying to educate customers as to what exactly goes into a garment, what is the what is the minute value? What is the, the, the allocation for, for raw materials, for the zips, for the buttons, for the labor, for the, for the contribution to overheads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then from that, we assign a sensible fair markup that allows us to keep moving forward um, and to reinvest our proceeds uh, into the people, into better practices, better processes, more product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if people like that and it resonates with them and, and, and they, feel, they feel that's something that they can get on board with and buy into, provided that, of course, that the customer service and the quality of the garment all stacks up, yeah. then I think you've got something quite powerful and quite potent. I think without that, you can, have the, you, can have, you can have the most opaque costing sheet in the world. But if you've got a great product, well, then that's fantastic. But conversely, you could have, you could have you know, complete transparency, have a really, really forensic, documented, detailed listing of, of all the practices and processes and prices that go into your operation. But if the product is just not quite good enough, um, you know, you're on the road to a hiding anyway. So just by, you know, unveiling um, a sprinkling of transparency is not going to get the baby fed. Yeah, um, I think you've got to... You, absolutely. absolutely. It's, it's, you know, any, any good business... Um, well, I believe any good any good business it has to succeed by brilliance across all fronts. Yeah, um, that's that's what that's what I firmly believe anyway. And you also, I mean, one of the wise moves I think you made very early on as a factory when you decided to do your own brand is that you took Nick Ashley on, didn't you, to do your design because you knew it was just as important about the design as it was about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ultimately it's, it's about the product. Yes, you, you've got to have. You know, design and 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 production go go. Um, are you know, Batman and Robin hand in glove. The two are um, the two are absolutely um, absolutely crucial. Um, and Nick was a, a a great friend of the factory. So when he was head of Dunhill, we used to make as much British made product that Dunhill would allow him to inject into his collection. Which you know, it was 
was it significant for some or insignificant for others? But um, so when I was looking for a a, a creative genius, a, a design director to help put together a handwriting, a, a look and aesthetic, Nick was the first and only person that I spoke to. And, um, you know, we've been working and playing together ever since. Mm, brilliant. <laughs> so we're at that time of year now where everyone is talking about buying stuff, Christmas, gifts, Black Friday. And you have I caught a post that you put on LinkedIn, which has got a lot of attention and a lot of comments and ruffled quite a few feathers about the fact that you weren't going to do back Black Friday and you'd be doing zero discounting. Correct. Zero discount on, on everything. Really? <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah. So, um, what was the reason behind that? Well, I think, I think, you know, what we're trying to, we're trying to spread the philosophy that underpins our business. You know, we want our customers to pay a fair price that accurately reflects the quality and craftsmanship of everything we do. Um, so the idea of excessive markups um, and wildly inflated prices throughout the year to facilitate and support initiatives like Black Friday and Wild Wednesday and Manic Monday just don't seem relevant or don't seem appealing to a business like ours. Um, Because I think what you're doing is, what businesses are doing, businesses are essentially investing huge, huge amounts of money to educate and train their customers not to pay full price again. So true, which, yeah. Which, which I find bizarre to say the least. So what we're doing, we're opening discussions, we're, we're, we are embracing a dialogue with our consumers to say, look, this is the price, this is the fair price of our, our garment. It's the same price in, on December 24th. It'll be the same price on January the 24th. It'll be the same price on July the 24th. So you can buy with confidence and conviction um, that you know that um, that there is going to be no ad hoc in season um, discounts, um, and I think that's that's created quite um, quite a stir in, in a very positive way. Actually. Yeah, exactly. Because there's nothing worse is than buying something, especially something you, you love from a brand, to then two weeks later see them discount it, and you feel hard done by. Yeah, which. I, also, you know, the, the whole idea of the whole idea of the fashion calendar and spring, summer oh, and autumn, yeah. winter and, and, and pre-season and collection, all that kind of nonsense. <laughs> um, I just I just don't think it's relevant to a business like ours. You know, we're not an avert. We are not. I don't believe we are a fashion brand or a fashion business. We're a maker. And the love, the love, sweat, tears and years that have gone or go into one of our items is so significant that just you know it can't be right that on the on june the 15th or whatever the date is at the stroke of midnight you have a garment that was beautiful um one day and then the strike of midnight stroke of midnight another it all of a sudden yeah. becomes redundant obsolete so let's let's put it in the bin and, and knock 25 percent off and look to um look to get rid of it i just find that peculiar now, i understand sorry Especially when you're no. making coats, I was going to say with that, because yeah, the amount no. of coats that are marked down in October is just crazy when the weather's been beautifully warm until the end of October here in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, but our approach is quite. I mean, we've got to, we have a, I, we have at Pride a very, very, a, ver, a very, very peculiar business model. It's completely old-fashioned, and, and for lots of people, it doesn't make sense. Not only are we making everything in the UK, we're actually making everything ourselves. So we have a slight, so we're a bit more precious and a bit more 
what's the word? Well, it's a bit more precious about our, about what comes out of our factory. We have a limited supply, even though we have a relatively large clothing factory for the UK. It's tiny on an international scale, um, and like I said, we have a limited we have a limited supply. Everything is made by ourselves by my amazing team of people who I've met um, who are great real personality yeah, thank you. yeah exactly and so so we price things fairly we want to offer tremendous value to all our customers um with so you know so so they keep coming back and, and enjoying the product knowing that with the utmost confidence that we are treating them communicating with them fairly honorably in a very, very honest, transparent fashion. Mm. Um, and I think if you do that and do it sensibly, I think you can, I think you, there, is, um, there, there is scope for you to build quite a nice customer base, a nice loyalty, loyal customer base. Because let's be clear, you know, building a brand, building a business like ours, it's all about harvesting trust and confidence in consumers. You want them to, be, you want them to have, the, like I said, the trust and confidence that buying something today will serve them well um, for tomorrow and the day after and, and, and hopefully for, for many years to come. So, so we have that, um, we want people to have that, that confidence about pricing and also in terms of the, the performance of the product. So we actually, we offer a lifetime repair service on all our garments as well. That's brilliant, which I know, so, yeah, a lot of the Northampton shoe guys do that. As well. Yeah, correct. So, so we, so we don't actually, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not trying to encourage, we definitely not encourage people to, to go on our website, order six pieces, wear seven of them over the weekend, and then return eight on the Monday. You know, we want people to, to invest in their clothing, invest in a product with us and other like-minded brands, and really, really, really enjoy them over many, many years. Shall we? T- you were just saying just then, James, about the fact that by, by international standards, your factory is relatively small, albeit it's one of the biggest clothing factories in the UK. Yeah. As business takes off, which I'm sure it will, because what you're doing is fantastic. And there's how are you? How do you plan to expand the factory? Because you get to a point where there's a finite amount of machinists you can start bringing in. Uh, well, I think any business owner has an uphill challenge when it comes to recruiting, retaining, and training and developing staff. So it is difficult to find good people. What we're looking for in clothing and textiles is people with enthusiasm, because the you know the the the, the halcyon days of hundreds and thousands of, of of raincoat factories sat alongside us in the heart of uh, heart of Manchester are, are, are long gone, and there aren't that many people, not that many experienced sewers who can just pick up a, sit at a machine and, 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 and just fly through um, a welt pocket or a poacher's pocket or, or, or something even more embellished and complicated. So it's not that easy to find people who you can just parachute in and, and, and they can start from the off. So we're investing heavily in, in, in training and development, which is why we've set up a quasi-training academy, although it's not formalized as such, in our shirting line. So we've developed, so we've, 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 brought, in, we've brought in quite a lot of, machinery that is um suitable for for shirting and we've tried to we're trying to um promote the manufacturing of shirts as um as a kind of like i said as, as a training school to 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 upskill guys and girls that are interested in working in textiles because shirting although of course there's a skill there's a flair there's a knack to making a shirt when you compare it to some of the wildly 
exotic and complicated things that we do and offer in terms of outerwear, a shirt is relatively straightforward. There's relative, you can automate some of the processes in shirt making. And it's a way of getting guys and girls comfortable, confident behind a sewing machine with a view to then upskilling, um, building on their confidence with a view to promoting them to go off, um, elsewhere in our in our circumstance in our factory upstairs onto the onto the main factory line and you've had no trouble getting young people i'm presuming they're younger people are they apprentices yeah yeah uh, it's it's a mixed bag i mean fortunately we're blessed because we are very very central it's 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 becoming people can't quite believe just how how well located we are um, in the, in Manchester. I don't know if you know your your the listeners know Manchester is a small little hamlet just to the north of Watford, <laughs> and and we and we're we're about an eight minute nine minute walk to Selfridges, Harvey Nicks. So it's very very well located. It's fantastic. We're we're, we're walking distance to Victoria Station. We're very close by to Piccadilly Station. So we're very very well located. So there is just quite a lot of quite a lot of talent in the Northwest of people who want to work in, in clothing or indeed who, who have worked in furnishings or in, in other textiles, whether it's bedding or linen or mattress making or whatever. Um, but they want to come to us because, well, first and foremost, I think because we've got a very, very, well, I don't know whether it's is it a, is it a sexy, is it a cool brand, but for some people it, it is. I mean, I think it's very, very cool, but I'm a little bit biased. Um, <laughs> They are, um, yeah, so that, so there is quite a high profile or increasingly high profile um, um, brand that sits behind our factory. And also, we are, without wanting to be crass, we're bloody good payers, right. actually. You know, yeah. we, uh, which, I mean, and rightly so, you know, we, 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 we do think, you know, we don't do... We don't do pillowcases. We don't do pocket squares. Our product is extremely complicated. You know, not only we're we trying to make it in industry or in an, in an area that basically gave up manufacturing many, many years ago, we are still here in the same building that my great grandfather started. So we haven't changed the techniques, the traditions haven't changed. Um, and it's extremely complicated what we do. Um, and as a result, we, we pay our machinists um, um, relatively handsomely compared to um, other industries when it comes to um, apparel and sewing. Brilliant. So, James, that's been an absolutely fantastic chat. Brilliant. You've been Thank you. really fascinating to talk to. You Thank you very much. You're near Victoria Station in Manchester. But you've got a shop on site, haven't you? So if people want to yeah. come and find you. Correct. We, we've got, I mean, it's we've got about a 30,000 square foot Aladdin's cave of, of just magic. We have, um, and we, we're open six days a week. Um, on Monday to Friday, we do factory tours. Saturday, the store is open, but we don't have the tour on, on Saturday because the factory is closed. But anytime between half nine and half four, we invite everybody to, to come and see what a, a really beautiful, hardworking, clothing factory looks feels and smells like um and we, we don't do any we, you know we don't outsource anything so everything from well anything from once the roll of fabric turn up in the warehouse we take care of everything else here on site um so yeah we encourage everybody to come and, and see what it's all about brilliant well that's an invitation that you can't refuse isn't it fantastic i will put the address of your place in the show notes and also your website address and everything so people can find you and a copy of that LinkedIn post you did about Black Friday. Ah, in case you, yeah. anyone else wants to comment. Brilliant. Thank you very much, James. You've been fantastic today. Thank you. 
listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers within the fashion, textiles and homeware sector, you should definitely come to our yearly trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. There'll be over 200 manufacturers, inspiring talks just like those you're listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops. It's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. To register to attend, go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register. Or if you're a British made manufacturer or brand and you want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire and we'll get straight back to you. If you want to reach out to me personally, and I'd love to hear from you, the best place to do that is probably via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You can also find me on Twitter at Make It British or on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Make It British. I go live on the Make It British Facebook page every Thursday at 1pm. Do pop on over and say hello and say you heard me on the podcast. To make sure you never miss out on an episode of this podcast, remember to just subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. I'd be so happy as well if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews I receive, the more people would discover this podcast and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. To read the show notes for this episode, go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to any of the brands or manufacturers mentioned on the show. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye. Bye.